Hi, Vishal. How are you? Good morning, or for you, good evening, right? <laughs> well, yeah, it's evening over here. Can you hear me well? How this works is you click on my profile picture, and then um, on the bottom there should be a make moderator. So, I, so I clicked on making you moderator. Perfect. Now I can add topics. How how are you? How how was your day? Oh, pretty good, pretty good. How are things at your end? Yeah, pretty good. I had a really yesterday was a holiday. Uh, here oh. in the US. And um, yeah, so the week just started. So everything, <laughs> everything is good. <laughs> There was not too much chance for something better. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> so, so what what was it yesterday? Uh, what was the holiday about? Uh, Mighty Mother King Day. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, um, human rights, basically. Right. Okay. So. Um, let me just uh, refresh my memory on this. Everyone would be able to see the slides or download the slides. So if I would just announce the slide number, they should be able to see yeah. uh, things, so, right? Yeah, okay. exactly. So if you see um, on top, now there's a link to your slides. So yes, I can see and it can be downloaded as well as, well, I do not know if it can be downloaded but um yeah it can be seen and the best to see the movies so i can i can tell the audience when we start the best way is to use the google drive app to see the slides if you use that you can see the movies so okay so it allows me to download i hope it also allows uh, the audience to download it yeah so the only change i had to make in these slides is to remove all the transitions and uh, add a few or but then i thought if it, if movie works well and good if it doesn't i still can you know go ahead with the backup slides i have okay yeah um yeah i checked it should be working if people use the google drive app just to display it um and then press on the uh, on that option and um, yeah the accessibility um, I checked and it is um, for everyone available to view so it should be it should be fine and Perfect. if it's not working people will uh, will tell us so hi Joyce how are you yeah hello I'm fine thanks it's so early it's for you. Yeah, it's early <laughs> for me. I'm not I'm not always up this early, but today I happen to be. <laughs> yeah, thanks for coming. Uh, Joyce is in California, so for her it's like so early. 
<laughs> yeah. So if my voice sounds funny, that's why. I just woke up. Well, we are glad you you joined us. So thank you. Well, that's that's one of the cool things about Clubhouse. I mean, you can just be waking up and getting out of bed, and you can join a really exciting talk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, props to you for being a really early riser. That's really wonderful. I have trouble, like, very early. I don't know. It's not. <laughs> I really have trouble rather the opposite, like, uh, winding down at night and, like, stop working. And then, and then in the morning, I take a little bit of time to get, you know, to get ready to start focusing on things. Yeah, just now I was looking at all the things you have planned for the Science Society, and there's a lot of very exciting talks, so I was putting them on my calendar. Oh, yeah, thank you. Yeah, so January, is, it ended up being pretty full. February until now, it's, it's pretty light, but um, yeah, it ended up that a lot of people wanted to have the talks in January and the new year right away. So, um, yeah, so I'm excited too. Thank you. In fact, I think some of them are kind of early also, so I might have to set my alarm because I don't always get up this early. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, we have a lot of speakers from Europe, so they, they for them, this time is kind of the end of their work day. So they prefer this time. Um, but I know, yeah, for people from California, it's really early, so. Yeah, it's really hard to find a time, you know, that works for everyone. But gladly we have the replays. And and um, the replays also for uh, Vishal, they are pretty good to you on Clubhouse. That's why I really like the Clubhouse app because links and the chat um, where we usually share additional resources and so on, they all stay kind of active in the recording so people can click on it, click on all the links and everything. So, Yeah, yeah, I think that's really great. And, and now that we can share the Clubhouse um, recordings, you know, outside of Clubhouse, it really, really makes it so much better. So uh, apparently I'm one of your newest member in the science club or science society. I just was figuring out how to join it <laughs> and I'm, I'm done. So, yeah, but you're right, means organizing any event uh, specifically when you have people from uh, this part of the world, from India or you know, China, and then uh, people from Europe and then US. Uh, the only time that works very well is late in the evening for us, early morning for people in US. But then the East Coast, West Coast time difference <laughs> makes it difficult for people on one of the sides. Yeah, exactly. But yeah, gladly we have the recordings and people really uh, listen to the recordings a lot. So. I always say, you know, the live event, of course, it's nice when a lot of people raise their hand and 
different people ask questions because you know everyone has a different way to think about um these um topics so i think it's always more interesting when there are a lot of people asking questions but um yeah for the presentation everything we have the recording so it's um you know if it doesn't work for everyone that's still okay and we are almost about to start everyone um we have two minutes left so thank you so much everyone for coming if you um, know uh, people that might be interested in this topic feel free to share it and i shared the paper that is being discussed um, mainly in the chat uh, and it's open source so um, everyone should be able to access it on on the top we have the slides and if you want to see the videos and anim or animations displayed um, when you open it, please use the option to view it in the Google Drive app or in Google Drive. Um, then the videos and the animations should work. And it's a really beautiful presentation. So um, would be really sad if you would miss those. So and um yeah it's it's really nice that Joyce made it in for me in the middle of the night for her early morning in california thank you so much and of course vishal thank you so much for taking the time and making the effort to you know coming here on clubhouse to join us it's such an honor and um and welcome everyone to Science Society here today. And before we start, let me give you a little bit of an introduction so you get to know our speaker um, here today. Uh, Dr. Vishal Rai, he's a professor at um, Iser um, Bhopal in India. Um, and um, he is um, he did his bachelor and master's in science at the Banaras Hindu University in India and then his uh, PhD at the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay and um, then he was a postdoc at the University of Toronto in Canada um, which then um, also uh, was then later on uh, Mitax Elevate Postdoctoral uh, Fellow, also at the University of Toronto. And his mentor was uh, Professor Andre Yudin. And um, he um, published many different papers and um, received um, many different awards and his most recent award is the CRSI Bronze Medal from and 2022 and the Servier um, um, Grant for PACE Precision Antibodies Engineering um, in 2022 and the CDRI Award for Excellence in Drug Research in 2021. 
and it's such an honor um, to have you here today, Michelle. And usually we start with a short interview. Um, and our first question for a guest speaker you, uh, is around how did you discover the passion for science or you knew you wanted to follow uh, the path career of science was something you always dreamed of as a child or was it something that came later sparked maybe by a great class or um, a professor or um, a book thank you so uh, thanks a lot katrina for this really generous words of introduction um, well about your question uh, I do not know if uh, science really came to me very early. Uh, I was always a curious kid in the school, but I guess my first choice always was to go into defense. Uh, but in India, I do not know if you, you might be aware of the population we have. So it becomes very difficult to get into defense as well. And uh, then uh, there was a time when I was also doing graduation and I had some amazing teachers. Um, and I guess my first excitement in science started with physics. And uh, then uh, from physics, I moved to physical chemistry and quantum chemistry. And uh, eventually I found a teacher uh, who taught me how to think from the physical perspective about organic chemistry. And uh, so organic chemistry is what I majored in for and then worked in my initial years of research. And uh, slowly, uh, I started moving towards uh, biology and uh, started looking uh, into the biological systems from organic chemistry perspective. And uh, yeah, means it, it absorbs you, right? So, you know, as you keep working in this uh, field, the more you learn, uh, the more you realize how much is there to learn. So that is what has uh, kept me busy for, I guess, last two decades. Uh, and that's more or less of my research journey. Yeah, that's uh, wonderful to hear that you had a mentor that um, showed you like a interesting path to follow, um, to combine the expertise you have. Um, that's really wonderful, and I'm glad um, you had a, a great or you had great mentors. And um, is there maybe an interesting backstory about the the project or the science project we will be discussing today? Was it maybe um, really easy to get grants for? Um, was it really hard? You know, whatever background story days, we would be happy to learn about it. Thank you. Uh, thanks for this question. So uh, this, I guess the research question uh, that we will be addressing today in the talk, uh, it, the seed of this question, I guess, was sort of sometime during my postdoc. So we were working on a problem that was, uh, that involved uh, team members from uh, diverse backgrounds, including chemistry, uh, biology, and medicine. Um, and we were trying to develop a cyclic peptide-based inhibitor for certain kinases. And uh, that was also the time where we 
were looking at this problem from really different uh, schools of thought. And eventually a problem that came our way was complexity uh, to the other level of complexity. So taking something from in vitro models to in vivo models, uh, the translation was not so straightforward. And uh, we were discussing this question in our team that, okay, well, can we just, instead of looking at it as a black box, can we uh, put a probe that can allow us to see where things are exactly going wrong? And um, that was the time when we started looking for technologies that would allow us to precisely engineer proteins. Uh, turns out that it was not so straightforward and specifically, if you take native proteins, uh, this was considered to be uh, slightly impossible uh, because you would end up typically using a kit from Thermo Fisher Scientific or some other company, which in this particular case used to give a heterogeneous conjugate, which was expected, but then it used to just crash out everything. So that was the time when uh, the question came to my mind that why is it so that uh, you know people believe that it should be uh, not feasible to come up with chemical technologies that can precisely do single site engineering of native proteins and what stops uh, them from moving forward in that direction and then we were looking into this perspective from the organic chemistry and physical organic chemistry perspective at that time and uh, uh, that is what happened in the first five, six years, uh, where we were looking into the physical organic chemistry principles uh, that would help us deconvolute the challenges. And I'll try to uh, push in some part of that story of how this all evolved and eventually led to the content of today's paper. Now, uh, just a, a disclaimer. So uh, since uh, most of the audience would already have access to the paper, uh, what I will rather do is that instead of talking only about what is there in the paper, I would rather focus on the story and the concept development, which eventually led to that paper. And at the end of the talk, I will spend a few minutes talking about uh, what eventually we learned in that paper and then how does it connect with the overall scheme of things. And um, yeah, one more question that you asked was about the funding part. Um, well. So that, I guess, was slightly tricky. Uh, we were though lucky in the sense that I had uh, uh, administrators uh, and a few other uh, committee members at the national level uh, who were okay investing money into the risky ideas that I was proposing. Um, so they were generous enough. So I really, I would say that so far in the last 11 years of my independent career here, uh, funds have not been the major problem. Well, I'm so glad to hear that. And thank you so much for um, giving us this uh, peek into, you know, um, behind the curtains of this project. Uh, I really appreciate that. And um, yeah, everyone, please access the um, the presentation if you can on the Google Drive app because then you can see the animations and Vishal, the status yours. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, so at the onset, let me uh, thank uh, Dr. Katerina once again for 
uh, giving me this amazing opportunity to share our work with all of you. Um, thanks for joining us today from different parts of the world. And I hope everyone can see the slide deck. Uh, you should have 36 slides in total. And for convenience, I will mention the slide number as we move forward in the presentation. So our group at ISER Bhopal is developing chemical technologies for precision engineering of proteins. Besides, we are looking into how we can contribute to the technological demands in biology and medicine. Now, before I get into the details, let me tell you why such technologies are absolutely essential in a broader perspective. Slide two, please. Okay. So the basic knowledge of reactivity and diversity aspects uh, of selectivity and pro uh, with proteins provides a great opportunity to contribute to the market of biophysical and biochemical tools. And the fact that this segment is doing uh, well, even with the non-selective kits, tells a lot about the uh, potential opportunity for the selective technologies. Uh, slide three, please. Now, what really excites our research group though, is the potential to contribute for directed cancer chemotherapeutics by synthesis of homogeneous antibody drug conjugates or ADCs. Uh, it provides a state-of-the-art technology and as the name suggests, it involves a monoclonal antibody that is covalently connected to a toxin uh, through a linker, as you can see on the left-hand side top panel. Now, when these ADCs are given to the patients, the job of the antibody is to target the antigen that is overexpressed in the tumor cells, but not in the normal cells. And that is the basis of targeted uh, chemotherapeutics. Now, at the next stage, the overall complex is internalized and the lysosomal degradation would release the toxins that leads to the apoptosis or death of the tumor cells. Now, there are a few drugs that have received the FDA approval and are available in the market in this field. Uh, and if you look closely, you will realize that these drugs have one thing in common, that they are sold mostly as heterogeneous mixtures with zero to N number of toxins installed per molecule of the monoclonal antibody. Now, it is well established that this heterogeneity is detrimental to pharmacokinetics and makes it really challenging to get batch-to-batch -batch reproducibility. And that is why it led to failure of multiple efforts in the preclinical stages in the past few years. But not much can be done to solve this problem uh, due to uh, lack of enabling technologies. Slide four, please. In fact, the same set of problems have also been bugging down the field of conjugate vaccines, where now you would have a carrier protein attached to the antigenic uh, molecule, and uh, directed imaging-guided surgeries, as well as photodynamic therapeutics. And we are looking into some of these dimensions along with our collaborators. But while we are working on protein-based therapeutics and related solutions, 
Uh, please turn to slide five, please. In the long run, our dream goal is to see if we can engineer a single site of a single protein inside the human body. If we are successful, it would provide a disruptive platform for precision therapeutics because then the small molecules can provide the specificity that has so far been possible only with biologics. And that would be amazing. But before we can work with the complex systems such as humans, tissues, or even cells, we would first need the knowledge and methods that can enable precision engineering of isolated proteins. And once we have them, we can move forward and translate them sequentially from one stage to the next. Now, an obvious follow-up question is that do we not already have drugs that are highly specific in nature. So let's take a look at one such representative example. Slide six, please. Now kinase inhibitors are involved in critical signaling pathways in humans. So it's not really a surprise that they are very well investigated over past few decades and have led to multiple uh, approved drugs. But if you look at the most selective protein kinase inhibitors, they still go for around 30 to 100 identified targets apart from many more unidentified ones. And this is the reason why these drugs have multiple off-target activities and they do lead to side effects in the patients. Now, a part of our group is trying to see if we can solve uh, such challenges in the long run. Slide seven, please. So the first step in this direction was to see whether it is possible to develop methods that can result in precise single site modification of native or unengineered proteins. Slide eight, please. So in this perspective, we started by looking at protein as a multifunctional organic molecule, which is full of nucleophilic residues that you can see highlighted uh, in this particular figure. Slide nine, please. So for covalent bond formation, we will typically add an electrophile to a solution containing the protein. And all these nucleophilic residues are going to compete for that electrophile. And then it will have to figure out how to differentiate one type of residue from the rest. And once we find such a chemoselective electrophile, and let's say it is selective for the primary amine that is highlighted in the figure, it will soon realize that there are multiple copies of primary amines present in the protein. Now, the electrophile will have to differentiate one primary amine from the rest. And that is what I am going to term as site selectivity in the upcoming slides. So for precise single site modification, we would need an electrophile to exhibit a combination of chemoselectivity and site selectivity. Now, let's say that the N-terminus alpha amine is the most reactive and solvent accessible amine and that undergoes preferential modification with an electrophile. So for the convenience, we will call such centers as reactivity hotspots. But what if we want to attach probe at a different amine? 
is it possible to even have such control over selectivity where you can go beyond the reactivity order defined by the protein and target residues at your wish? Now, with this in background, uh, we ask a basic question. Uh, please turn to slide 10, please. That let's see if chemical methods are capable of identifying the reactivity hotspots present in a protein. And after our initial investigations, we uh, learned that the N-terminus alpha amine do serve as a preferential reaction center in multiple proteins. And if we design an electrophile appropriately, we can label it with high precision in acceptable conversions without touching any other residue. So with this information in hand, we now wanted to see if chemical methods can differentiate the reactivity of a residue uh, from its multiple copies. Uh, please turn to slide 11, please. Now, we were really delighted to learn that not only this is possible, we can actually regulate chemoselectivity and site selectivity with absolute precision for modification of highly challenging residues such as lysine and histidine. Uh, slide 12, please. Besides, we can apply these methods to structurally diverse proteins, install different probes of interest, and control the type of reaction or type of bond that was involved in the bioconjugation. However, it is also important to note at this point that all the methods that I have talked about, they are still restricted to the reactivity hotspots or the residues that are close to being a reactivity hotspot in the protein. Uh, slide 13, please. So at this stage, we really wanted to see if we can go beyond the reactivity order defined by the proteins. Slide 14, please. But uh, such a technology required us to address a combination of challenges. So we came up with a theory that involves disintegration of the challenges, finding solutions, and then integrating the knowledge together at the end. We argued that a multi-step chemical reaction can actually help us in this process. Slide 15, please. So this theory helped us uh, deconvolute various steps of selectivity and deliver N-terminus glycine residue specificity. So in the representative example that I have highlighted on slide 15, we can take any N-gly-containing protein actually and construct a carbon-carbon bond uh, at that alpha position without touching anything else in the protein. Besides, we developed another method to demonstrate that this CC bond can be dissociated in a chemically orthogonal but mild process. So if you have used something like sortagging, you can correlate this as a small molecule artificial enzyme for N-terminus glycine detection and modification. It's just that in this case, you do not need a longer sequence. Just one single N-terminus glycine residue would be good enough for the process. Uh, slide 16, please. 
So now this encourages us to see if we can develop a modular technology that can precisely label more than one sites in a protein by going beyond the protein defined reactivity order. Slide 17, please. So, but we also needed a model and that can help us in hypothesis driven research in this perspective. Because uh, when it comes down to the analytical perspective, um, a lot would depend on uh, what you want to see because you will be using mass spectrometry. So unless you have some sort of idea of what you want to see, what could be the potential outcomes, uh, you might end up missing the information in the data. So uh, for that purpose, we decided to take human behavior as the model which is equally complex as this problem, if not more. At the same time, it is a model that we have been studying since childhood, uh, knowingly or unknowingly. So if we look closely uh, in this figure, uh, a person placed in two different environments with different interacting partners can have completely different behavior profile. In other words, if we can control the localization factor, and interacting partners through protein and reagent defined variables, uh, we should be able to control the precision engineering of proteins and hopefully have a comprehensive platform to do that. So slide 18, please. Now to engage the ecosystem, we have to target at least two residues simultaneously. And that is what we did. So in this example, I have highlighted lysine in blue color and histidine in red color uh, in a fragment of a protein. So the idea was that if we can design a reagent with two functional groups highlighted as FK and FH, where FK can give me a very rapid and reversible reaction that is chemoselective with lysine, and then FH can give me a relatively slow irreversible reaction that is chemoselective for histidine, then in that case, if we mix such a reagent with a protein, FK is going to go and rapidly react with all the accessible lysine residues and form linchpins at multiple sites. Now the micro concentration of FH can be enhanced near a particular histidine by the design of the spacer that connects the two functional group and can allow us to regulate the site of modification. Also, in such a scenario, the desired irreversible modification would be going through an intramolecular pathway, uh, keeping out the background non-selective reaction that has to travel through an intermolecular pathway, giving us a great kinetic advantage. Slide 19, please. So after a thorough investigation, we found that just by changing how FK and FH are positioned in a space with respect to each other, we were able to target two different histidine residues uh, positioned in completely different domains. And uh, each of these reagents uh, did not touch anything else beyond the single site that it led to uh, target. And you would notice that in this case, these are highlighted at histidine 36 and histidine 81. Slide uh, 20, please. So this linchpin-directed modification, uh, or LDM, 
for short, works well with a structurally diverse set of proteins under physiological conditions. And we have shown some representative examples from the past uh, in this uh, slide number 19. And sorry, slide number 20. And now we can move on to slide 21. Uh, so now once the job of linchpin is done, uh, it is a multifunctional uh, or in terms of what you can derive out of it. So once uh, it has taken care of directing the site selectivity and modularity, we can utilize it for installation of diverse biophysical or imaging probes uh, through auxine formation. Slide 22, please. Alternatively, we can also utilize the linchpin to further capture the labeled protein on a hydroxide functionalized resin. So we can recover the unreacted protein. And now we have an ordered immobilized protein on a resin. So as and when required, we can just take it out, add a bunch of uh, probes with hydroxylamine derivative, and the transoxymization delivers analytically pure single side tag proteins, and we recover back the resin. Now, at this point, we were all set to see how LDM platform would work for the synthesis of antibody drug conjugates. Uh, but before getting into it, let's have a quick recap of the challenges uh, that needs to be addressed with the help of a short video. So on slide number 23, you should be able to see a video. And if you uh, take the cursor there and click on play, you should be able to see what is coming up. Now, even if you are unable to see it, it should not affect uh, what you will be perceiving. And I'll talk about the things that are happening in the video in detail. So as we discussed, uh, the ABCs are composed of three key components. You can play the video if it works for you. Now, you would notice in the video that uh, there's a toxin molecule or drug and the antibody appears uh, now, and there would be a linker uh, that connects the two, uh, which is going to appear at this moment. So overall, you have these three components, and that also leads to the first question, that how do we control the homogeneity of bioconjugation? And now, once that is figured out, these ADCs have to be injected into the bloodstream, and at this point, the bond strength that connects the toxin to the antibody becomes a very important parameter because if the toxin is released uh, before ADC reaches the tumor tissue, it is bound to have off-target effects that you can see in the video at this point. And that is why the control over chemistry and bond type becomes really important. Now, once these things are figured out, eventually these ADCs will reach the tumor cells. And at this point, they might or might not kill the tumor cells. And this is where the control over conjugation sites becomes very critical to ensure that the ADC antigen complex uh, does form properly and the internalization is not affected. And once these things are taken care of, the lysosomal degradation eventually is going to release the toxins as we also discussed earlier, which eventually is going to kill the tumor cells. 
So we can move on to slide 24. So whatever I mentioned uh, in the video is highlighted as path A, uh, as receptor-mediated endocytosis uh, in this case. But if we carefully look into uh, all the other pathways that also contribute to the overall process, and in slide number 25, if we look into the potential sources of resistance uh, that uh, we came to know about in last couple of years with all the data coming with uh, one of the ADCs, it becomes quite evident that, uh, slide 26 please, why a powerful ADC platform would not just demand control over homogeneity and drug to antibody ratio, but it should also offer flexibility with the chemistry and the residues of monoclonal antibody that would be involved in the conjugation. So one should be able to regulate the bond strength, linker chemistry, and the site of conjugation. And this is exactly what we were trying to address with the LDM platform. Uh, slide number 27, please. So in this representative example, you can see that we selected trastuzumab as the monoclonal antibody along with emtensine or DM1 as the toxin. Now this choice was also to ensure that we can do a head-to-head -head comparison with Catsilla uh, from Roche. And we were excited to know that the LDM-derived ADC renders great efficacy in inhibiting the HER2-positive cells. Um, it outperformed Catsilla in all the trials, but more importantly, uh, it is highly specific towards HER2-positive cells without showing any negative impact on the HER2-negative cells. Now, in this case, the site of conjugation is histidine residue, uh, and that is not something that you would want in many cases. But the LDM platform does provide a great versatility. So please move on to slide 28, please. Um, now, in this case, uh, I have highlighted one of the examples where we extended the LDM platform conveniently to the modular and precise modification of high-frequency lysine residues and synthesized homogeneous ADCs. So the selected example on this slide uh, has toxins uh, installed at lysine number 169 and 395. And uh, in this case, again, you would notice that the LDM-derived ADC outperforms HER2 positive cells and does not harm the HER2 negative cells at all. And this has led to a library of few antibody conjugates where we can install the probes of interest at uh, different residues and uh, with very high batch-to-batch -batch, uh, consistency. So uh, please move on to slide 29. Now at this point, we wanted to extend the linchpin to a low-frequency residue such as cysteine. And uh, we wanted to use that uh, to modify uh, the lysine residue. And our argument was that it should be uh, able to take care of two technological demands for us. Uh, first of all, it should allow us to access unique lysine residues to conjugate the fluorophore or probotoxin. Uh, but further, it should limit the number of linchpin sites 
And that might allow us to extend the technology for single site labeling of a single protein within a complex biological milieu, such as let's say cell lysate. Slide 30, please. Now, there are ample number of cysteine selective electrophiles in the repository, but the problem was that none of them uh, really qualified uh, to the requirements of serving as a linchpin. And that was not really surprising because they were developed for uh, making sure that the reversibility is, uh, you know, it can be mitigated as much as possible. Um, now, eventually we figured out that the nitro oily fins work pretty well for our job and they can offer a rapid and chemoselective reaction with cysteine. But more importantly, we could promote the release or a subsequent transformation of these nitro oily fins uh, under very mild conditions after they have served uh, as linchpin uh, handles. Now, with all these building blocks in hand, we constructed a set of LDM reagents. Slide uh, 31, please. Now, what many of these LDM reagents work very well with the structurally diverse set of proteins. And more importantly, we could utilize them for installation of probes through chemically orthogonal reaction. Now, in this case, the cysteine is released once the linchpin is taken off at the end of the reaction sequence. So the technology also enables the installation of two probes at a well-defined distance from each other. Slide 32, please. Besides, it allows us to extend the landscape of target sites in precision engineering of antibody conjugates. So you can see one selected example in this slide where we have demonstrated how homogeneous antibody fluorophore conjugate and antibody drug conjugate can be constructed, where in this case, the probes are attached specifically at lysine 183 and lysine uh, 341. And both of them did a great job in a specific staining or anti-proliferation of HER2-positive breast cancer cells. Slide 33, please. Eventually, we found that the technology works quite well for labeling a single site of a single protein within a mixture of proteins or a cell lysate. Slide 34, please. So I hope I was able to convince you that it is possible to simultaneously regulate reactivity with chemoselectivity, site selectivity, residue specificity, and modularity. And overall, it provides a very strong platform for precision engineering of proteins. Now, some of these methods have evolved extremely well for in-cellular and in vivo protein modification. And I will be glad to discuss that part of the story at the next occasion. And all the technologies that I discussed today and a few others are accessible to the scientific community through Playable Tech. Uh, slide 35, please. And that's uh, my time. I would like to thank all my group members who have done the actual work in the laboratory. Uh, I would also like to thank all my collaborators and funding agencies for their uh, constant and generous support. And slide 36, please. Thank you all for your kind patience. I'll be glad to take questions. Yeah, thank you so much for this wonderful presentation, um, for guiding us through a really elegant and um, 
a very powerful uh, work and technology that you developed. So uh, we really appreciate it. Um, it's um, really impressive the precision um, that you achieved. And um, regarding um, the antibody um, development, so would this be accessible enough for uh, developing really, you know, in the lab to develop really precise antibodies of all sorts? Like how easy would it be for a lab or then, or are you planning to have a company that can have this very flexible um, way of um, producing antibodies for all kinds of different research projects? Thank you. So uh, in terms of uh, antibody production, um, this is where we team up with, so it requires a very complementary skill sets. And that is where we already have a couple of collaborators who are into uh, antibody production. Uh, in general, uh, apart from a few academic collaborations, we. Uh, you know, do get into these collaborations through our startup company. And uh, that is where we are looking into a diverse set of antibodies. Uh, so the access to those antibodies is relatively uh, well established. And the problem that we really are trying to solve is in terms of uh, how to have their homogeneous bioconjugates. Um, so for example, one of the problem that we are working on, it involves uh, looking at an antibody that is uh, expressed against a biomarker for colorectal cancer. And uh, you would uh, find that uh, these antibody conjugates with uh, near IR fluorophores are already used for image-guided tumor surgery. Um, the only problem is you only have access to heterogeneous conjugates, which means not a good release. Um, or uh, not a good clearance, actually. Uh, so the time that the surgeons would get uh, for the between these clearance of non-specific uh, localizations versus what is bound to the tumor that narrows down, and that makes it very difficult to mark the margins. So these are these uh, types of challenges we are trying to address. But when it comes down to the native antibody production. And that is something where we rely more on our collaborators, both from academia as well as for industry. So when it comes down to the uh, production at larger scales, beyond lab skills, it is always industrial collaboration. Yeah, interesting. Um, thank you. And um, I wanted to ask Joyce and Dr. Shah if um, they have questions and if people in the audience, if you have questions, please. Uh, share them in the chat or raise your hand and uh, be, yeah please ask your questions and then i'll i'll ask um, my following question thank you yeah thank you so much uh Vishal. that was a wonderful i mean research that you shared with us and my question because you just mentioned about the hair to positive and what about this some um, uh, for example highest risk subtype for example, triple negative breast cancer. And as long as you're just uh, talking about the conjugation uh, and what might be 
the scenario about the environment of the tumor, if we want to consider in a high risk sub subtype, is that still the same challenge, for example, the pH or heterogeneity that you just mentioned about, or some other points that you want to share with us? So I, I hope I got the question right. Uh, but then uh, it, it is a very valid point. So the challenges that I did not specify at all, uh, they come from uh, the heterogeneity of the tumor itself. And, uh, you know, and that is where it becomes really, really tricky. Uh, but we are, so right now, I do not see a, pro a proper solution to this problem. I don't think anybody has it, uh, but if we really want to move forward and understand um, how we are going to, uh, you know, so so where is sometimes uh, resistance coming from and so on and so forth, then we cannot do it or we cannot even understand uh, the correlation properly unless we deal with the homogeneous conjugates. So when we are looking at a chemically uh, impure or chemical mixture of various conjugates with different profiles, it is very difficult to pinpoint what is leading to what problem or what is even leading to a certain activity. It might Heterogeneity might not be bad all the time, but it is very difficult to pinpoint uh, what is uh, the key factor that is working in favor and what is working uh, in against it. Uh, but it is a problem that it still remains unsolved and we hope that we will have some answers to it in the coming time the same thing i guess also applies uh, to the uh, tumor density and the heterogeneity in tumor density so in the case of the drug development you do think that the drug that you want to offer might be helpful in what stage mostly in initiation pro proliferation or metastasis so which I mean, how you can evaluate it. So, um, so at this point, we are still going for low-hanging fruits because one problem at a time. So, uh, if you see uh, what uh, Catsilla or what Inherto is doing, um, we are basically, uh, you know, solving the problem of heterogeneity at that stage. So, what we are claiming is that if you have a homogeneous system. Uh, and you have drugs which, so what I did not discuss at all is that the site of conjugation does matter in terms of uh, its efficacy of the antibody drug conjugate. So you can have, uh, for example, Catsilla, and uh, typically you will have uh, uh, the drug to antibody ratio would be around, uh, let's say three to four. And, uh, you will have zero to eight lysines labeled. But if you see uh, the overall number of lysines that participate in the conjugation in that, it is around 78 to 82 lysines uh, that are conjugated. So that's the level of heterogeneity. Whereas we are uh, offering um, a compound that has just two specific lysines uh, involved in the conjugation. And we can already see that uh, depending on the choice of what those two residues are, or in some cases, three that we pick, um, it, it matters uh, how the specificity and how the uh, profile is going to change. But whatever the important part is that uh, it is 
it is possible to reproduce homogeneity. Uh, it is not so straightforward to reproduce heterogeneity. And that is one challenge that I guess everyone in the field in, from the industrial side is facing. Uh, and we are offering a solution to that. Um, in the long run, we might be able to hopefully solve uh, problems that still remain to be unsolved, that are still not addressed. But I would say that uh, at, at this point, it is one step at a time. We are just solving the problem of heterogeneity with the antibody conjugates and hoping that we can come up a far better uh, spectrum of compounds to uh, precisely look into uh, how or what combination of ADCs uh, could actually be beneficial depending on the tumor type we are looking at. So as long as you mention about the ratio, what is what might be the pH or what is the impact of the negative charge on this drug specifically? Oh, okay, uh, fair enough. No, so it it depends. So if you are using uh, the uh, pH control for release of the drugs, that could be one thing. Uh, the link, so that is where the linker chemistry comes into the play. Uh, we have not innovated in terms of linker chemistry. Uh, so we are uh, specifically, so our first generation of ADC library that we are working on that primarily involves a linker uh, that would um, uh, that would get uh, chopped off only after reaching the uh, lysosome. And uh, so it has to undergo uh, internalization and then the lysosomal degradation, but uh, just the difference of pH is not going to um, do any harm to it or it will not just uh, cleave it off. Now that is um, a good and a bad thing. So, but then the advantage of this is that you can also, so this also allows you to control the charge distribution on the drug after the release. I guess that is what you might be asking. And the charge distribution control, if you can do it, depending on how you are placing or what is the orientation of the linker you take, uh, then in that case, you can also uh, take a call on whether this drug is going to uh, remain in the cell where it is released, or in the case of, let's say, high density tumors, you would want um, the uh, something that is called bystander effect. Means the it would be nice if high density tumors where the accessibility is poor for some of those tumor cells, uh, it would be nice if these drug molecules can come out of lysosome, but then they can also come out of the cell and go and affect the neighboring cells. So now, obviously, depending on the stage of the tumor, uh, one thing is not going to address both the problems. And that is where you need to have tunability and control. And depending on the uh, you know, tumor type, you would select which one would be the ideal case. So you would need bystander effect for the cases where the tumor heterogeneity has already increased uh, and you have high density portions. Whereas you would probably prefer not to go for that if it is an early stage case where the tumor density is still relatively low and it is more homogeneous. I hope I was able yes. to answer. Yes, that was very complete. Thank you so much. And I'm assuming it's in the form of the missile mostly hmm. and this the access to the chromatin. So thank you so much. I'm passing the mic to the next person. Thank you. Okay, well, I'll, I'll go next. Um, thank you for your work and your, your great presentation. And 
I'm going to ask something that um, that you have probably not discussed. Um, I just want to get a sense of um, what type of uh, disease or condition uh, you might have a personal interest in that um, that you may not have discussed much in the talk that it might apply to. Okay, and well, thanks for asking this question, guys. So uh, to begin with, uh, we were going. Uh, so what I discussed today was her two positive cancer uh, in general, uh, and uh, I must admit that it was also because uh, the uh, literature available in this segment uh, gave us enough insight uh, to look into the other problems that are associated with the uh, antibody heterogeneity. And all, and uh, the clinical data that was available in this dimension, um, in fact, even the data for resistance uh, with some of the first-generation ADC, that is what uh, kind of uh, indicated to us that this would be the right model system to begin with. Um, I must admit that um, a particular disease was not what we were looking at in the beginning, and that was not the motivation. But it was more about okay, how do we really demonstrate the fact that uh, from heterogeneous conjugates, it is time to move on to the homogeneous conjugates and how these chemical technologies can help in that perspective. Having said that, there are other projects on which we do work and it is not related at all to uh, the LDM platform that I discussed, uh, where we are also looking into how we can uh, intervene into the signaling pathways for uh, other types of cancer, including prostate cancer. But um, there as well, our focus is not only on prostate cancer. We are trying to see if it would be possible to come up with a platform where we can target not just one kinase specifically. Can we also switch the specificity from one kinase to the other kinase? But as you would realize, it's super tough. Uh, it's a very challenging question. And, uh, you know, uh, I'll be really excited the day when we will have a positive answer for it. We are not there yet. We are close to being as good as what some of the most specific uh, uh, inhibitors are out there, uh, but not even close to um, the target that we are setting for ourselves. Thank you very much for your answer. Yeah, thank you so much um, for those questions and the answers. And um, I would like, um, so since you can target very specific um, proteins and could you uh, disrupt basically uh, very precisely um, cell functions? Um, I was thinking also about um, at some point, if you could, for example, stop um, epigenetic processes in the cell, because then, you know, that would have really an impact on probably different, you know, cancers and then also uh, mental health and rejuvenation. So um, it, would that be possible or... Um, you know what yeah well thanks for asking this question so this 
this is something that we really want to do. So a part of our team, um, in fact, just yesterday evening, we got our uh, RV trap and we are setting up or extending our uh, mass spec facilities in our lab from biologics or just biologics to discovery chemoproteomics. And uh, the reason why we are pushing so hard in that direction is exactly to work around the question that you mentioned. So we are trying to establish the proteome that these molecules can target and what sort of specificities uh, we can achieve in that perspective. And we are going two ways. Uh, so linchpin directed modification. So one of the reasons what I did not discuss in detail was the uh, fact that, you know, the, the methods that I initially discussed, they were all fine when you are making, let's say, uh, 15 linchpins in a protein and then finding a single site of modification with the help of design of the spacer. Uh, if you are looking at a cellular system and you have many more proteins, then in that case, obviously, you can play around with localization, compartmentalization, and other parameters. But then still, you have too many competitors. So if you will be making um, of 10 to 15 linchpins per protein, then uh, you will just be dealing with too many competitors and having a precision will become very difficult. And that was one of the reasons why we wanted to figure out how to make linchpin specifically at a low frequency residue such as cysteine. So I guess you can see that we are moving towards the current investigations uh, around the field of covalent inhibitor development. Uh, and which is typically centered at around uh, cysteine-based targets. Uh, but then we do not want to then target the cysteine. We want to use those cysteines and we want to target something in the proximity. But uh, having said that, uh, I still see some of our exciting data. Uh, we also see from some of the other LDM platforms we have been working on where the functional group handles are not exactly same as what we have published in this paper. So this is not some this is great for uh, cell lysates it's also it works well even with some of the live cells but uh, this is not our ideal candidate moving forward uh, the principles are something that we are taking forward for the design of the other set of molecules having said that um, there is another thing that excites us even more uh, the possibility that i was talking uh, when dr shah's question was being addressed uh, um, I was also talking about the fact that the Glytek technology that we are looking at, uh, that is something that offers us very, very high specificity and even at the uh, cellular level. And we are now introducing a few more control elements and we are trying to see if we can intervene in the localization of proteins into the membrane. And you would imagine that, uh, you know, if you can inhibit the uh, localization of a protein into the membrane, then you are, for example, let's say a kinase, you're already having a tool for intervening into the signaling pathway uh, for let's say uh, tyrosine phosphorylation or serine phosphorylation. Um, and um, that is something that we are uh, hoping would give us a far more uh, broad platform in comparison to the uh, chemoproteomics screening approach uh, 
where we will still be doing library search um, and we would not be able to a priori anticipate what we are going to target but on the other hand with the other technology the glide technology we are hoping that we will be able to anticipate what we are going to target and if it works out then it would be a much more stronger platform that sounds really really exciting because the more we are learning about precise mechanisms and different disease states and also aging um I don't even know if we know enough yet to use the platform you're developing. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> but that said, once we know enough what to target very precisely, it will be really um, exciting um, to use it uh, on a... So, so how would you, again, just to remind me, um, how would you activate and deactivate uh, target those targets because let's say we could reverse or stop um, temporarily an epigenetic mechanism um, for like methylation processes and so on um, at some point we would probably want to stop doing that so so how easy would it be like in a living organism i know it's kind of a future talk but um how easy would it be to turn it on and off yeah i wish i could answer that uh, so this would be for epigenetic modifications that is a bigger question <laughs> because you know uh, then you would want the modification to happen, but then you also would want it to come off after a while, right? And uh, can you trigger it, control it? Uh, it's, it's a question which is uh, some, it's, it's still a bit far from what we can address at this point, or in fact, we could even imagine at this point, um, not there yet, because uh, the chemistry questions that it poses, is uh, is fairly challenging. Um, it adds up to the fact that you would want uh, trigger, you would want it to you know go and block some of these epigenetic modifications, and then what you mentioned that at some point you will also have to uh, turn on things, and in that case you have to take it off. Um, not sure at this stage if if we are if we can do it. I do not know if others can do it, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, the only thing that comes to mind is uh, using optics, but that is really then hard to broadly apply, um, you know, like optogenetic type of approach that you have trigger mechanisms with light. There are also mm. some with magnetic uh, turning on and off, but the problem there is, you know, if it's deep tissue, how would you, um, you know, how would you target that? I mean, I guess for skin rejuvenation, <laughs> it would be <laughs> fairly easy, but, but for like deeper tissue uh, targeting, that, that would be harder. But um, yeah, yeah, but no. it's, it's really exciting, the research field you're in. Um, I think, and, um, you know, you're 
it will hopefully will be having a really bright future <laughs> with thanks to your work well thanks a lot for having me miss we we are looking at the exciting times ahead it's just so much fun to learn and you know it, it is it sits right at the interface so we are still learning a lot from uh, the experts uh, from biology the experts from medicine and the experts who are involved in clinical practices uh, and well the only tricky part is the more you learn you realize how much you do not know about the challenges uh, that these type of problems poses yes exactly it would be challenging to know even if we manipulate those i mean if we want to combat cancer cells and just um, stop them from growing and so on that's one thing right but then modifying um, a whole organism and then knowing what the effects will be that's a whole other story but um, it will be exciting and are you looking into model organisms like are you collaborating with people to try uh, model organisms let's say disrupt like a developmental stage or something like that in drosophila maybe see elegans so so we have worked uh, with drosophila uh, well we have a few team members who, who are expert with drosophila um, having said that i guess our results are still preliminary in uh, what we have been able to test but that is one model organism that we uh, we are working with um, uh, but uh, that is not with the antibody conjugates that is where we are trying to see if we can selectively target proteins in a living organism so that becomes a very handy one um, uh, for adcs it's mostly the mice based experiment right away Yeah, that's interesting. Um, and we are the um, talking in an hour. So um, if anyone has a last comment or question, please go ahead. If not, it's probably getting really late for Professor um, Michel. So um, thank you so much for your time and for um, explaining and guiding us through your really um, very interesting and, and and powerful technology that you have been developing and um, i'm really curious to see what comes out of your uh, lab in the future um, because it's yeah it's i see so many applications that are really uh, exciting for the future so thank you so much for doing this work and for presenting uh, well, thank you very much for having me and thank you everyone for your wonderful questions and joining us today. Yeah, and thanks again to both of you, Katerina and Vishal. Um, great, great, interesting stuff. Thank you. And um, if you like um, discussions like this, follow the club. Um, so, um, to the next uh, discussion will be with Dr. McWilliam uh, talking about the immune system's molecular disabling switch. Um, 
I think it will be um, really interesting. And thanks for interacting, asking questions. And Professor Vichel, thank you so much and enjoy the rest of your evening. Um, thank you. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'll close the room in three, two, one. Bye, everyone. Thank you.